So why does life have to be so hard? <laughs> you probably feel that way if you've lived for any amount of time. I find a real interesting part of scripture at the very end of Genesis, and if you're reading through your Bible, you'll come on this, where Pharaoh is meeting Jacob for the first time. You know, Joseph had gone to Egypt. He was uh, ruling over as the right-hand man of the Pharaoh, and, and now all of Jacob and his family, all 70 of them, are coming to live in Egypt during the famine time. And so at this meeting of the Pharaoh and then the patriarch, Jacob, Pharaoh asks him, so how old are you? That, that's a guy question. You don't ask the women that, that question. That's a guy question. So he, he, and he answers him, he says, I'm 130. And he goes on to say, few and evil have been the days of my life. <laughs> oh, that's encouraging. Few and evil have been the days of my life. We had a good friend and church member that we knew years ago named Carl Clark. Some of you will know Carl. And he used to say this tongue-in-cheek with me. We'd be talking about a certain situation. He'd say, Pastor, life is hard, and then you die. <laughs> I said, well, that's, that's a real encouragement, Carl. <laughs> he, he would just laugh. But don't you feel that way sometimes? I felt, um, even like if you watch the, the Groundhog Day you know, Bill Murray, that, you know, when you wake up, it's the same, you come at the same every day, and you think, it's always hard. Why does it have to be so hard? I think back to the first 20 years of our married life, and, you know, we had some challenges along the way. And uh, you think, well, life, life is it's great. Then the second 20 years, it's like every year, there's something else. And you think you go through, okay, the other shoe is going to drop, uh, this is hard, and then again, and again, and again, and finally when you get to the say, Lord, thank you for all the things you've taught me, and how I've grown through all of these, and you know what, I'm ready, <laughs> I'm ready to live my life without all the, the drama, and uh, of course, some of you follow my hearing loss, uh, you know, losing, losing the hearing in my ear, and then um, they say, oh, you know, it, it rarely will happen to the same person and the other. Rarely. I'm thinking, you know, when they said that, I thought, you know what? <laughs> and I'm typically not a Murphy's Law person. But then I thought, sure enough, a few months later, now we lose it in the other ear. And you think, what else can happen? And it can become incredibly discouraging. This time of year... You know, you're coming through the winter, off the holidays. We've had three funerals just with people in our church. And sickness and pain and sorrow and loss with all of the things with employment and our economy. And it can become very, very discouraging. And you may, you may ask that to God. And I think David, you hear him in, his, in the psalm saying, How long, Lord? How long? Why does life have to be so hard? And yet, when I think of what I go through compared to what many of you go through, I want to just shut my mouth because I have no reason to complain. Some of you were watching the Buffalo Bills game on Monday night. I missed that game, but I got a text from Scott saying, did you see what happened? I quickly went on to see um, Damar Hamlin 
heart stopped beating on the field. You know, it sounds like he is making improvements now, but you know, those, those kind of things are big drama. But it's on national television. That kind of thing happens to, to thousands of people every day that we never even hear about. I think one of the things that helped put life in perspective for me was reading a book, and I would highly, re if you've not read this, it's called Johnny, J-O-N-I, that's how you spell her name, An Unforgettable Story. And it tells a story of when she was 16, 17 years of age, she, she had a diving accident, became a quadriplegic, sp spiraled into depression and doubt and fear. She was a believer but how God really rescued her heart through all of this. She also wrote a book I recently read called When God Weeps on Pain and Suffering. And so when I, when I know what some of you go through, I think what I go through is so small, it is so little. I don't even wanna, I don't wanna complain. The reason I share a little bit about what I'm going through is because I think that's, that's, that's my world. And you know, the truth is, you can read about what everybody else is going through, but you feel what you're going through. You feel the pain that you are presently going through. And, and you want to ask, God, why does life have to be so hard? So this morning, what I'd like to do in this story of Moses in Exodus 17 is try to, to answer this question in a particular battle with the Amalekites. So Israel has left Egypt. We, we have seen all of these miracles or read about them and the crossing of the Red Sea and we're heading to the promised land. And amazing things are taking place. Miraculous things. Water from the rock, bread down from heaven. And we're going to the promised land. There's songs about that. You know, it's kind of like, we're going to Disneyland. Now, are you going to pack up the car, and we're going to Disneyland? And the kids are so excited, and you're an hour down the road, you forgot something really important. You turn around, come back for it. You start off again, realize you're low on gas. You run out of gas. Kids get sick, they puke in the car. You get in a traffic jam at the same time. And it's like, what is happening? We, we don't want to go there. We just want to be there. Is that the way you like to travel? You don't want to go. You just, I just want to be there. And so how do you make sense of how, what is supposed to be really good? Because if God is taking us out of bondage in Egypt, and taking us to, woohoo, the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey, all that we're looking forward to. This is exciting. Then what's this all about? The attack by the Amalekites. Now, you may never even heard of the Amalekites. Well, they're distant cousins. <laughs> Remember Jacob? Jacob had a brother. Jacob is a, kind of the patriarch, father of all Israel. He had a brother named Esau. And Esau's descendants, along the line come the Amalekites. So it's like Hatfield and McCoys. <laughs> They're dwelling in the land, coming back to haunt them. Israel is on their way to the promised land, and, and the Amalekites come to, 
do battle. And, and typically, when they do battle in those days, it would just completely wipe you out, just completely wipe you out. All two to three million people in Israel. Now, the Amalekites, something about them, they, they have a standing army. I mean, they have people who are professional soldiers. They are equipped with weapons. Israel does not have a standing army. They have volunteers. Okay, everybody in here between 20 and 50, um, you're in the army. And what do you have to fight with? I got my pocket knife. <laughs> That's about it. I mean, they don't have, maybe a few, a few weapons that they pulled out of Egypt. So they, they are just not prepared to do battle. And you say, this is an impo another impossible situation. And impossible situations can tend to wear you out. They can tend to wear you out. I think of Luke 137, for with God nothing shall be impossible. And he is again going to prove himself. So <clears throat> to answer this question, why does life have to be so hard? I'd like to try to answer it this morning in three ways. One, the reason. What is the reason for the struggle, the why? The response to the struggle, when, when the struggle hits your life, and there's such a variety of struggles that are going to hit all of us. This is the how we respond. And then finally, the result of our struggle. So what's the reason for this? They're, they're traveling from Egypt through the Red Sea, through the wilderness, to the Promised Land. In Exodus 17, verse 8, it says, Then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. Well, they remember that. And they'll remember this for many, many years to come. You would think that if I say, Lord, I will do whatever you want me to do. I will follow you. I'm going to do your will. I'm going to obey everything you show me to do. That life is going to be better. Well, it is but it's still going to be hard. You're living in a fallen world. And when you try to make sense of these health situations, conflict, battle, warfare, attacks that you have from Satan, you'll think that something has gone wrong. So the reason for the struggle, what, what is the goal? You would think, well, the goal is getting to Disneyland. <laughs> the goal is promised land. This is, what, this is what this is all about. And you know, we love goals. I love goals. First of the year, write out all my goals. <clears throat> and um, I don't know if you do that. Maybe you've given up. <laughs> uh, you say, I tried that last year. <clears throat> and, um, but we, we love having a goal. And getting there. We want to get to our goal. So 2023, what are you striving for? I mean, what are you hoping to achieve in 2023? I asked my grandkids that. What, do you, what are you looking forward to? From like one of the youngest ones, it's as simple as this, ice cream. <laughs> you know, you're trying to ask a deep, profound question to a, to a young grandson, it's ice cream. <laughs> But I think for most of us, we're hoping for, thinking through, 
what we would like to see happen. And so we kind of weave those goals and put all of our energy and attention into seeing that happen. Where we want to be at the end of next year. So next year is 2024. Where do you want to be? Where do you want to be in 10 years? Well, still above ground, I hope. <laughs> but 2024 will come, and so we line up these goals for ourselves. What is the goal? Get there. What is the goal? Get it done. Or we say, get her done. Get there and get her done. Make your plan, work your plan, achieve your goal, get there, success. Folks, that is not what it's about. And we're going to find it. What should have taken them 40 days to do to get to the promised land is going to take them 40 years. It's going to take 40 years for them to get it. It's not about getting there and getting her done. Ten years ago, I was finishing up my job at a small college in northeast Wisconsin, a place you would never go unless you went there on purpose. <laughs> we spent 11, 12 years there at the college, and typically my week was full of traveling somewhere on an airplane, recruiting students, raising money for scholarships, working on accreditation, academic programs, counseling, preaching, speaking. It was not realistically a pace that I could have maintained. In fact, when I, I finally, in, in the summer of 2013, stepped down from that, uh, my, one of my good friends said to me, well, God just extended your life. <laughs> I thought, well, maybe so. It's just the pace. It was just the pace. And I loved what I did. I loved college students. I uh, loved being around that environment, working on academic programs and helping them plan for the future and, and so forth. Um, so I loved doing that. But... When I stepped down, the school was very kind, and they gave us 11 months of our continued salary. So I didn't, I had a little bit of a break, just kind of take a deep breath. So bought a motorcycle, and uh, Diane and I were touring around up northeast Wisconsin and all through the UP and enjoying ourselves. And I remember when the fall came, and I said, you know, the colors have never been this beautiful. And she said, oh, yes, they have. You just haven't seen them. <laughs> and I thought, you know, it, 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 would, it would really define my life. I'm just, I'm goal, goal, goal. Get up. We got to get this done, get this done, get this done. I write out my plan, work the plan, get in here. I, I was constantly thinking of, of getting there and getting her done. And so the, the, the beautiful things all around me, what, is, what was obvious more to her, she's a more spiritual person than I am, is she can see that every year. I'm just not even, oh, is, is there snow up here? <laughs> is it cold outside? I mean, none of those things even seem to faze me because it's just kind of locked in on what we have to do. And I think it's very easy to spend your life Chasing goals. Especially this time of year. Locked in on them. And those goals get frustrated. Roadblock. Something's thrown into it. 
You got the perfect plan every morning, and it never works that way. Have you felt that way? And it provides a, a great deal of frustration and discouragement and questioning God. It's very easy to spend your life like this, chasing things, working toward things that really don't matter that much. They do matter, but not that much. What is the goal? What is God doing? So to answer this question, what is the reason for this battle? And you're going to see these words all through the Old Testament. That they might know the Lord. It's not about getting there. It's not about getting or done. It's about God saying, you need to know me. In a personal, real, intimate way. I'm getting your attention right here. And I want you to know me. That is the most important thing in life, is knowing him. For your kids to succeed in life, and we all want to see our kids, you know, we love to see them go to good colleges, get good degrees, get good jobs, marry nice people, have wonderful grandkids, accomplish goals, but none of that matters. None of it matters unless they know him. And when I say know him, I don't mean in casual passing. I don't mean in just intellectual knowledge. I mean to know him personally, intimately, relationally, dynamically. And every single situation that God brings into your life is, is designed to move you to that. That's what it's about. That's the reason for the struggle. We've titled this whole series on Moses as Face to Face. See? <laughs> it wasn't about Egypt, promised land, getting to the burning bush, getting to the Ten Commandments, getting up to Sinai, getting the people over here, getting the bread down from it. No, it is about the face-to-face -face relationship here and now. So that's the reason for the struggle. But then what's the response? What's, what's your response? We're going to see what... Moses' response to all of a sudden you see, <laughs> you're, you're going you're to get wiped out. Not just you're going to get wiped out, everybody you've brought, leader, <laughs> you great leader, everybody you brought is going to get wiped out here. What's the response? Exodus 17 verse 9 says, so Moses said to Joshua, Joshua's his understudy, probably 40 years younger, Moses probably 80 at this time, Joshua's 40, young, young man. And um, he's his assistant, and he's mentoring him along. But he says to Joshua, choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Well, how's that going to go? I mean, Joshua knows uh, we don't stand a chance. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. Now, you remember this rod? It's the same rod. He said, I want you to throw on the ground. It turns to a snake. He picks it up. Same rod that he parts over the Red Sea to part it to cause the Nile to turn to blood. This rod is symbolic of God's authority and God's power. And it, it, it plays a part in Moses' life in his dependence upon the Lord. 
He said, so I'm going to go up on the hill and I'm going to hold this rod above you as you fight. And what happened was they went into battle ill-equipped, unprepared, untrained, and as long as that rod was held up, they were victorious. And when the rod would go down, Moses' weary hands, they would not prevail. So Aaron and her, Aaron was his brother, her, probably a brother-in-law, come and help hold his hands up. So it's a picture of obedience, go fight the battle. You've got to obey. And also complete trust that unless the rod of God his power and his might and authority, we will not prevail. So this is, this is his response. It's obedience and faith. Now, I think for most of us, when something happens to us, you know, we say, why does life have to be so hard? Accident, sickness, death, tragedy. I mean, it's the stuff we're talking about here. When it happens, first thing to go haywire is the way we think. You start thinking things that are not true. God's not there. God doesn't love me. I must have done something wrong. It's all my fault. No, no, it's all your fault. <laughs> and, and, you know, without the truth, without the absolute truth, our thinking will never be right. It's fleshly. It's wrong. Your natural tendency is not to think truth. Your natural tendency is to think everything but truth. And what that does is when you start thinking wrong, you start feeling wrong. Feelings will flow from how you're thinking. Does that make sense? And when you're, when you're emotionally distraught, you're not thinking right, then you start saying things that aren't true and aren't right. And you start infecting other people with that. And finally, you start making decisions based on that that are wrong. You see how that just it starts to slide? Wrong thinking, wrong feeling, wrong speaking, wrong acting, and that dictates the course of your life. Listen, your, your success in life or the course of your life is not going to be determined by what happens to you. It's going to be determined by how you respond to what happens to you. Otherwise, you just become a victim. Well, I got sick, or I have this, I have incurable disease. This happened to me. My, my husband left me, wife left me. There are so much terrible things that can happen to people, but, but the thing is, that will not destroy your life if it comes through God's hand. You see, it was by design that God brings Amalek in. You say, well, why would God do something mean like that? That you might know the Lord. <laughs> That's it. That's it. So this isn't God being mean to you or, or punishing you or God trying to make your life miserable. No, God is bringing Amalek in, into your life, into Israel, so that you might come to know him as you have never known him before. That's the reason and the right response would be to obey. This would have been tough for Joshua. Okay, Joshua, take, find some guys, 20 to 50, 
Um, see what they got? Pocket knife. You got a chainsaw. Got a, I, I don't know what you got. You got a plowshare. Um, go fight them. That's a huge thing to ask for Joshua to do. And they said, I'm going to go up on the hill, hold up my rod. And they completely prevail. It is amazing. See, obedience goes with faith. They're really the same. You obey God. If he says to do it, it doesn't make sense. Don't see how I can do it. That's impossible. Obey. Always obey and always trust. There's a verse in, I think, Proverbs that says, um, the horse is prepared for the day of battle, but safety is of the Lord. So God says, you know, get the horse ready, get the sword ready, get everything ready, do everything you can do, but the victory is the Lord's victory. Your obedience accompanies your faith. So we come to, to this finally to the result. Reason and then the response is by faith and obedience and then the result. What happens here? Verse 15, first part of it says, and Moses built an altar and called the name of it the Lord is my banner. That's the new name of God that we see. Saying, a hand upon the throne of the Lord. What's interesting, you find with Abraham, you find this with Isaac, you find this with Jacob, you find this with Moses. Every time God reveals himself and they come to know him in a way and they see him do miraculous things, they stop and build an altar and worship. And worship is when you give praise and thanksgiving and you sing songs and, and, and you obey God. They built an altar and they called it Jehovah Nissi. The Lord is my banner. I think in many ways this, this rod, this banner that he speaks of, 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 of the hand of the Lord on the throne or our hand upon the throne of the Lord is coming to, to know God through the struggle. When something comes into my life or your life, you'd love to get around it. You'd love to get over it. <laughs> but God wants to take you through it. This is a divine appointment for you, for those around you to respond and to see what he will do. And as you do this, you come to know him in fresh and meaningful ways. I don't care how long you've been walking with God. I see in my own life, you know, it's been a couple years, maybe 50 years, I've been making an attempt to follow the Lord. But I still need the freshness you understand what I'm talking about? The freshness, the realness, the conversations, the, the, the growth in my life. I don't ever want to lose that. And I think as I get older each year, older each year, God is going to bring another group of Amalekites into my life that I might know him in those fresh ways. I'd love to say, hey, Lord, we've already been through this before. I already, I already went and start listing all, all the things that I've already been through. <laughs> You feel like you're that, Lord, we had enough in, in 2020 and then 2021. Lord, okay, same reason that you might know him. The Lord is my banner. 
I love this. What's, what's a banner? Well, in, in, in warfare, a banner is your colors or your flag. It is sometimes a pole, but typically it would be a, a tall pole with a flag, and you have a guy who's a flag bearer, or he's a, he's a signal, he kind of the signal for the entire army, and you'd have various uh, troops gathered around with their signal. It's not a real safe job, because you're the first one that they're going to try to shoot with an arrow or pierce. Why? Because everybody's looking to you for their signal. You are the rallying point. You are the identifier. When you charge a hill, it gives encouragement. When you retreat, it helps people to be safe. You take out the guy with the flag, and then someone will immediately pick up that flag. It's the way it's always been through the history of warfare. I read a really interesting story this last week. I've, I've been kind of a, for years, a Civil War buff. And if, if, you, if you've read a lot on the Civil War, um, probably the central battle was Gettysburg. And the whole story just fascinates me. You, know, you have General Lee uh, meeting General Meade. General Meade has the high ground on Cemetery Ridge. And at the end, of the, on the third day, Lee realizes the time is short and he is going to send General George Pickett up what we call uh, Pickett's Run or Pickett's Charge. It's up the hill and it, it was a slaughter, you know, if you, if you read about this. And that's really where the Civil War turned. And I've been there. I've been there many, many times. I've walked through all the different parts of this battle and just kind of just process it in my mind. But this one is just, we've, we've, with my friends, we'd run up that hill and you, you kind of go over the stone fence. You can see these guys running up. Well, a, a troop from Virginia was charging up with their flag. And there was a man, his name was Joseph DeCastro. He was from New Hampshire, so he was in a New Hampshire regiment, and then you had the Virginia regiment, and the regiment is coming up, carrying the flag, and, and Joseph Castro, he's, he's 21 years old, jumps over the wall, takes his flag, and drives it into the guy from Virginia, has his flag, knocks him down, takes his flag, rips it out of his hands, runs back up the hill, and hands it to his superior officer. I thought, that is so cool. <laughs> and you think, he got the Medal of Honor. He's the first Hispanic American to get the Medal of Honor for what he did. But what it did was it, it really gave such encouragement to all the other people on the battlefield. So it wasn't just him. It was, it was what it represented. So this signal, this, the Lord is my banner, it's like this flag. For the Christian, that banner is Christ. That, that Jehovah means it is the personal relational God, Christ. This banner, I think, in many ways is, the, is, the, is a, in my mind, it goes to the picture of the cross of Christ, his work. The person of Christ, the work of Christ is what we rally around for victory. It is what brings unity to us. It brings cause for us, and we press on. 
And, and so when he says at the, at the end, the Lord is my banner. It's the flag that flies above us. It is our security, is our hope, is our marching orders. And then he says, to, to a hand upon the throne of the Lord. So you think of the throne of the Lord, Jesus Christ, of course, seated at the right hand of God, laying hold by faith. There's, there's lots of scriptures in the New Testament that use this, and I, I try to limit myself on this, but Hebrews 4 and 12 says, come boldly to the throne of grace. Now, Philippians 3, laying hold of that which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. First uh, Timothy, laying hold of eternal life. All of this language. So here's the key. When you lay hold of Christ, you lay hold of everything else. When you come to know him, you have everything else. That's the point. C.S. Lewis said this, Sarah, our daughter, has this in her living room on the, on the wall. It says, look for yourself and you will find in the long run only hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin, and decay. But look for Christ, and you will find him, and with him, everything else. Isn't that beautiful? You look for yourself, you, or you look to anything else. It's, it's, it's ruined, but you look for Christ, and with him, you find everything else. The reason, well, we're so caught up getting there, getting it done. No, that's not the point. This is the point. This is the point. Your relationship with God through Jesus Christ, intimate, powerful, relational, and with him everything else. We have a response. We can spin, start thinking wrongly, feeling wrongly, speaking wrongly, acting wrong. We, we can just say, I give up, I'm tired of it, I'm done. And you know what? We're all tempted to do that. I can tell you, I've had those thoughts the last several years. I think, you know, you kind of go through this, you go through this, Lord, I'm just, I'm just kind of getting tired of this. So you've got to fight for the right thinking. But the response to the struggle is faith and obedience. And the result will lead to relationship it is better than life itself. November 1887, William Borden was born into a wealthy family. It wasn't the Derry Borden family, but in the silver mining. But William Borden was rich. He was handsome. He was athletic. He was a very successful, gifted young man. He's kind of the son you'd say, That's, I'm really proud of my son. When he was 16 years old, he went to a meeting held by Evangelist D.L. Moody. You may have heard that name. And there he put his faith and trust in Jesus Christ as his personal Savior. His whole life began to change. He went off to Yale University, was very successful in sports and academics. But when he finished, he said, God's calling me to go to northwest China to the Chinese Muslims with the gospel. He left everything, all fame and fortune and security and everything else. And so he got on a ship and he headed to Egypt to study the language, the Muslim language uh, of those people. 
and to learn that culture. He sails, he lands in Cairo, he gets spinal meningitis and dies. What do you do with that? You see, it never was about getting there. It never was about getting her done. It was about a relationship with Jesus Christ. Intimate, real, vital relationship with Christ. On his deathbed, you may have heard this, he quoted, no reserves, no retreats, no regrets. And what followed that was just a wave of young people going to the mission field. A wave inspired by that signal caller raising that banner. So in your trial right now, the 10th one in a row maybe, or more, or the one that never goes away, this is what it's about. This is what it's about. So my takeaway, this is what it's all about. God is moving us to relationship with himself, not just getting us to the promised land. Let's bow together as we close in prayer. As our heads are bowed, and I don't know where you are, in your spiritual walk right now? If you've ever put your faith and trust in Christ as your personal Savior, but if you've never done that, could I encourage you today to call upon him to be your Savior? The scriptures tell us whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But that's just the beginning of this journey. And the journey isn't all about you getting to heaven or getting to the promised land or getting her done. In this trial that you're facing right now, I am praying that God would give you the grace to embrace what he's doing, what this is about. To know him. Like you've never known him before. Wouldn't that be the greatest goal for 2023? To know Jesus like you've never known him before. Father, this is our prayer. It's a prayer for my own life to embrace every struggle, every trial, every difficulty, and to see what you're trying to do in your life. And finding Jesus, helping us find everything else. May you help me, Lord. May you help every person listening here today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.